Hey, this is Mike Brake, the lead pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. Just want to say thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I hope you feel encouraged and I hope you feel inspired today to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Um, I want to start a little bit light, but this is going to be tense and awkward. How many of you guys went to Sunday school growing up? Sunday school? Sunday school? All right, we all had probably different versions, a lot of us in the room. So you probably got taught this song. I want you to sing this with me, okay? Do not leave me hanging, all right? But you're gonna, not even going to know it. Let's sing it. We're going to sing the first verse all together, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. You good? For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Don't leave me hanging. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Bring it home. The Bible tells me so. Oh, look at you guys. Give yourself a round of applause. All right, all right, all right, all right. Now, that's cute, but let me throw a little dagger in there. For a lot of people, that doesn't mean diddly squat. Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. I don't give a rip about the Bible. I'm not trying to be crass here, but as we talk about faith, deconversions. That song can be triggering to some of you in the room right now. You're like, you know, and just even dealing with that and the tense uh, awkwardness that kind of comes with that. For a lot of people, we got to recognize the Bible tells me so. I just believe it. And that settles it. Or the Bible says it and that settles it doesn't suffice for a lot of people. And for a lot of people who have questions when they grew up in church, they were just told, just have faith. And it can, it can push us in a different direction. I'm not bashing Jesus loves me. This I, like, that's a great song. I'm just, for our conversation and context today, it, 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 for a lot of people, they have a lot of questions. I want to put my cards out on the table, okay? Because I'm going to talk about some things, and it might be misconstrued, or like this is just tense, and it's hard, and there's going to be some things where maybe we disagree. I believe 100% in the Bible, all right? I believe it to be true, I believe it to be God's word, and it is the foundation for what we do here at Freedom Church. At that being said, you are still welcome to come here and disagree with me, and I think you would still love this journey and this church, even if you don't agree with that statement there. But that's, just, that's me, and that's how we roll, is we're going to lay our foundation on the Bible. I also believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one. He is the Savior of the world. I believe that he lived on this earth, that he was God, big G. He died on the cross, and while he died, that also paid the price for our sins, and I believe he miraculously rose from the dead. And I believe all of that to be true, and I'm banking on that. Again, you do not have to agree with all of these things, and I think it's healthy to question those things. It is, it is good to, to dive in. Why do you believe that, Mike? Where does that come from? Where is the evidence for those things? Because if it's wrong, that has major consequences for us. So I'm not afraid of the questions either. 
I actually love these conversations, even though they're messy, they're painful, they're tense, awkward. It would be easier to just, eh, I don't want to talk about deconversions and questioning the Bible or questioning the resurrection of Jesus or question, you know, it's, I, eh, I actually, I like to dig into these things and I love, I love conversation. And I hope that's what you hear from me in my heart today. I have my beliefs and I have my convictions and I'm going to hold them, but I'm going to allow you to have those. And I want to just have a dialogue and conversation, which I think is missing not only in Christian world, but our culture as well on a variety of things. So what I want to do today is a little bit choppy. I got to like about four or five sections that I want to walk us through on why people who, who once followed Jesus quit. And so I kind of want us to see why, like what's kind of the reasoning behind that. I want to spend some time on how Christians uh, just handle this very poorly. Um, and then I also want to look at a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, because I think it's a beautiful picture of what might be going on. And then I also, uh, for those who are Christians, I want, to, I, want to, I want to challenge you on some things. And for those of you who are here that are skeptics, you would say, I'm, this, I'm, a, I'm skeptical of all of this. I'm glad you're here. If you're online, you're watching this now or you're watching this later. I'm so thankful that you're, please hang with me. You may disagree with all of this, but I want to ask you some questions too. I want to, I want to prod back um, a little bit and, and, and see where some things are at. Now, there's a, a guy named John Marriott. He wrote a book called The Anatomy of Deconversion. And um, I haven't read the book yet, just came out, but he, did, he wrote a book called The Anatomy, Anatomy of Deconversion. And he, he talked with people who had de- deconverted from Christianity, did some research, had conversations and interviews with them. That's kind of the premise of the book. Did this over a period of seven years. And he's talking to not just those who were like, oh, I kind of went to youth group for a little bit and then I walked away in college or whatever. These were like pastors, missionaries on the field, authors. Like they were deep into Christianity and they walked away. He's like, what's going on here? So he interviewed them and, and kind of was able to compile some stuff. Now, as I go through some of these things, you're going to be like, that's not me. That's way off. That, that doesn't fit my circumstance and situation, and maybe not. But he saw some threads that I think are healthy for us to understand on how does this take place. So one, um, he said the, the evolution of deconversion, like what's the process? And it started with the majority of these people who had deconverted had a, hey, was in context. They grew up in a very rigid religious environment. Not every single one, not 100%, but a vast majority of them had high demands on how you were to live out this Christian lifestyle. They were very exclusive. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't hang with these people. And so there was, you can imagine this setting. And that, that context uh, created that. That's why for a lot of the people when they share their stories of deconversion, they feel so free. They feel so much joy and peace. You know, Jesus said, hey, come to me, all who are, who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And their experience with Christianity was anything but restful. It was a burden. And so when they are able to break free of that, whoo, they have so much joy and happiness in that. And I want to say for 
this is hard because I got to kind of go both ways. But for, for some of you who are skeptics in the room or online, you probably, you walked away from something and I would say high five, good job, way to go because that God doesn't exist. Let me explain that for a second. Guilt God, we talked about him last week. You might have grown up with a version of God that just was guilting you and shaming you for every mistake that you made. And when you re actually take the time to read the Bible, guilt God doesn't exist. Maybe it was what I call boyfriend God. You grew up with this idea that God, I was always going to feel him all the time. And I was always going to sense his presence. And then you felt some prolonged periods where God was silent and just seemingly absent and nowhere around. Boyfriend God doesn't exist in the Bible either. God is with us, but he doesn't promise that we're always going to feel those emotions that go along with it. So you might have broke away from something, and I, and I would say that the God that you were believing in is not the God that's of Christianity. I want to introduce you to that God today, or at least try. Some of us, we grew up with anti-science God. And when it came to matters of science and faith, and you're like, I don't know how these match up. And you were just told, don't ask questions, have faith. And that didn't suffice. I, I hate science only because I'm terrible at it, all right? I'm just horrible at it. Can't quite figure it out. But I actually love science. I fig I, when you look into science, you just see God everywhere in it. And that's a whole other conversation for another time. But I, all I want to point out is, Sometimes we break away from something and it's a good thing. So there's a little bit of like, hey, where do you go? But when we break away, there's also, it's not just that, a crisis moment often hits in this breakaway moment. It could be at a university where a college professor comes in and he starts to just, what about this and what about this and poking holes and showing contradictions. And so as a, I'm not ready for any of that defense or talk or anything, so I'm just blown away, crisis moment. Maybe it's the, you see an evil or experienced an evil, and you're like, I grew up with this, a good God. How would a good God allow this evil to happen? A crisis moment happens, and it, it, it kind of just really, it throws them, again, a little bit more into this deconversion process. Then John Marriott found out that there was a period where they were seeking truth. In this, in this time, they are seeking truth. And for whatever reason, maybe they got some books on apologetics, and it just didn't quite, it just didn't quite suffice. It, didn't, it wasn't as persuasive. It didn't make sense. Um, maybe there was, I see this a lot, intellectual, what I call intellectual laziness. Like, I am seeking truth, but it kind of just stays on the back burner, and I don't really go after it and pursue it. Again, that's not everybody. But there's this like, and then it eventually absorbs into what I would call agnostic, like God's there, but I don't even know. And, and you kind of hear this phrase of like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. And then it can, it can drift into like, I, I'm done with this thing. So that's kind of the, the evolution that, that John saw in these stories kind of play out. Context, crisis, seeking truth, and, and that, that kind of agnostic. I see that in my own story. I grew up in the church. Now, mom and dad, if you're watching, I'm so grateful for our church. I love it. I kind of have to have this conversation because I kind of bash our church, and I'm like, but I loved it too. Um, but I, I saw growing up as a teenager, our church split, and it was nasty. 
And in that, as a teenager, I was like, if that's who God is, I want nothing to do with this. And so I walked. Actually, I ran, and I ran really well. So much so into college, my professors, I took a history of Christianity class, and it was basically history of disproving Christianity. He brought up all these things, and I had nowhere to go with it, right? And so I started questioning things. And then I had friends, and they would question some things and poke, oh, that kind of crisis moment, and I'm kind of wrestling. So much so, I'm in my dorm room with, at, with my friend at one point, and he's like, the Bible, you can't really believe that thing. And I was like, you know what, you're right, you can't. And, and going to this, I don't even know what I believe anymore. And I could see the drift. I also want to point out, a lot of that was a smokescreen for Mike wanted to do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, how he wanted to do it, and he didn't want a single person, God or anyone, telling him how to do it. So that church split was a good reason to say, wow, this is jacked up, and I'm going to go be free and do my own thing, which is why last week when we talked about in John chapter 2, I'm going to kind of set the stage for where we're going. In John chapter 2, Jesus turned the water into wine, and we basically said Jesus was making a statement that religion's dead. Religion is dead. And he's ushering in this whole new way. He's going to have a conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3, but right at the end of chapter 2, right before this conversation with Nicodemus, people started to believe in Jesus. They started to see the miracles happening, and they started to believe in them. And notice this, this, this phrase, Jesus did not trust them because he knew all about people. Oh, he knew my heart. He knew, oh, you just want to go and live how you want to live. And he could see right through it. Nobody else did because I was never going to let you see that side of me. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was at each person's heart. There's an iceberg under the tip of, of almost every story. And I think it's important to understand what some of those things are. And each one's going to be different for what's happening. Why do people walk away? We see the process, but why? Some of it comes down to values. Values. I don't understand these things in the Old Testament. Why is there slavery? Why would there be some sort of destruction of, of people in Noah's flood or Noah's, you know, with the flood and all this? Why would God do those sorts of things? Hell, I don't, I don't understand that. Why would there be an eternal punishment? And so it goes against our values and because it goes against our values, therefore the Bible's not true. I can't believe, I can't trust this thing because it just doesn't line up. Sexuality is another big one. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I can't trust the Bible because it doesn't line up with my values on sexuality. You take your pick on values and there's usually something there, which can then lead into emotional. Why do people walk away? A lot of emotions go into this. And there's a lot of circumstances. When you talk to people, it's rarely a monotone conversation. It is usually filled with tears, a lot of pain and passion and emotion in there. And when you talk and you start to hear their stories, a lot of that's aimed at people in the church. When you hear this, well, when I went to this church or this pastor or I, I followed this guy and he fell. Like, I just, I, I thought of this this morning. It's probably a terrible idea. I, let's just say I, I trip and fall in a bad way morally or something. And I hope to God that I never do or anything like that. So I have counseling and I got a lot of accountability around me. But 
if, if I were to fall morally, just horrifically, and you're like, ah, Christianity hasn't changed. I screwed up. I was a bad representation of Jesus, but faith is not built on a pastor or a leader or, or that church. But, 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 it would jack with us, right? It would really mess with us on, these, on the emotional thing. And a lot of people, when they, why do they leave? There was some sort of, some sort of circumstance or emotion that really, really um, is, is deeply personal. That's why this is so hard. They, some people feel judged. Some people feel the, they see the hypocrisy, something that in the last year, but it's not going away and we got to deal with this, politics. I've seen people drift away from, from faith, I'm not, I'm not because of you voted for Trump or you, these Christians voted for Biden or the politics. And obviously, we're, I'm here to say politics has nothing to do with Christianity in the sense that it's not, it's not, but we will, there's an emotional thing. There's so much an emotional thing in that. There was one, like divorce. There was a, a story of a guy, and it's probably not too far, too far to think of. You could think of someone else. Someone got divorced, and then they got cancer. And the church turned around and said, well, if you hadn't got divorced, you wouldn't have got cancer. I'm known in this town. Someone got divorced. And, and it got back to them. Now, whether or not this was actually said, I don't know, but this is what they, this is what they felt from the words of the mouth. You're going to hell now because you got divorced. So, so the emotions, you can imagine. Why would someone walk away? I just got cast into hell because I went through this situation and no one was here to help me. And then it can go, it can also be into the moral sphere. I served God. I was faithful. I gave. And then I got cancer diagnosis. Like, even my earthly father wouldn't be that horrible. Like, where are you, God? Because I can just, I can, it doesn't take that much to take care of your children, and here I am. And a lot of people who talked about deconversion would say, you know, oh, I'm here on a Sunday, things are good. Or, even, you know, I can think about that situation and be like, I don't need anything from God. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm good to go. Like, you know, I don't want these things to happen, but as they come, I'm going to, you know, still be rock solid in my faith, and I'll go. But then the situation happens, and they're in the middle of a mess, and if we're gut level honest, it jacks with your faith. Where are you, God? Why are you not answering? Why are you so silent? So there's, there can be this uh, moral aspect to God on why he's not doing certain things the way we want him to do. Then there can be the intellectual side of things. The intellectual side, where um, new info comes in, or science, or, or different things come in, and, and uh, i got to look and kind of see where around Easter, there's a guy with rabbit ears that comes around, and, and you're this like, at a certain point, like, my son would be like, ah, I don't know that the Easter bunny can make it all the way around the world, and I'm like, well, why is that? He's like, because he's only got two hands, those two little things, and he can't put all the eggs everywhere. Like, it's going to take him four hours just to get Los Alamos. And so, like, it dawns on you that maybe, maybe this Jesus thing is just all legend and myth. And things don't start to line up. Why, why do people leave? There's, there's, you will probably find something here underneath the iceberg 
as to what's driving them, which is, brings in the relational impact that I want to bring up. Because this is probably one of the bigger things for them. For those who are questioning, for those who have doubts, for those who walk away, there's a huge relational cost that they talk about. Parents have disowned kids because they've walked away from faith. Marriages suffer and, and sometimes have even separated because there's this, this clash that is going on. Many of them talk about the loss of community and the wounds that go on between friends and, and even more so within the church, that the church has, has left them. There was one example that was brought up of an atheist guy. He said, I, 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 I'm an atheist now. I've deconverted, and I'm, I'm an atheist. And he said all of his friends in the church left them except for one. And, it's, and, and this is what stood out to him, even though he hadn't changed his views on God and, and atheism. He, he, this one friend, he said, I'm an atheist now. And the friend was like, yeah, and? I'm still here. I'm your friend. And to that guy, that was meant so much to him. And for Christians, I, 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 wanna, I, I get it for us. I get it because we used to do life together. We had dinner around the table together. We had experiences. We cried together. We laughed together. We had years and time together of investment. And now, in a way, almost like betrayal, you said, it's, it's, I'm done with this. And so it, it's hard for us to reconcile that. I want to I I say there's a better way to just say, you're my friend regardless. Some of the dynamics may change, like they're not going to come to church on Sunday or be in the connect group or affirm everything that you do, so you may not see them in the same circles again, but it, you're still my friend, no strings attached. I still love you, no strings attached. But this idea of, of uh, the emotional relational impact that it has cannot be discounted. As a Christian, I think the best way, well, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I, how do I do better? than just severing relationships. And I think it's, it's listening to them. What is, what is going on? Why did they leave? What questions do they have? Listening, understanding. Listening is a very loving thing to do. Accepting them, not debating them. What I feel like for those who ask questions, for those who have doubts, I want you to lean into those because I really do believe doubts lead to discovery. You may very well be on the edge of discovery and freedom. So don't stop short. Lean in. Don't be intellectually lazy. Go after the questions and find answers. As a youth pastor, um, 10 years here in Los Alamos, we would start to pastor kids and we would try to give kids this idea that you are, your faith is not inherited from your parents. Like, you have to own this thing. This is yours. And so we would really try to set them up for that. Well, in the process of this, just this is what? Like, many kids would just think, I'm done with this. I don't believe anymore, and I'm out. And there was a big part of me like, is this the fruit of our ministry, a bunch of atheists? <laughs> I hope not, but, and I, I can, I, we're, 
years removed from now, and I, I start to kind of see what's happening. They're on the edge of ownership. They're starting to realize this isn't my parents' faith. I don't know what I believe. And so there's a checking out moment here. But for many of them, they were starting to own their faith for the very first time. And I'm okay with that. Because grown adults that own their faith, they understand why it is they believe and what they believe. And, and not every one of them, but many of them have returned back. Maybe I'm just trying to justify that for myself. I know some. But there's a big part where, where I want to understand that they have to walk through this process. So my vision, my heart, as a pastor, is conversation. I want conversations about these things. You don't have to believe everything I believe or we believe to belong here at Freedom Church. Okay, I'm going to tell you what I believe, and this is where I already told you, Jesus and, and he's the Messiah. But we're going to try to move forward, understanding that questions are okay. So I want to look at this uh, uh, passage of Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, he's a questioner of Jesus. He does not have all the answers. He has doubts about him. And we get one of the most beautiful conversations in history right here from a doubter, from a seeker, from a skeptic. This is why I, I want us to ask questions because it can birth some amazing truths. So starting in verse 1, there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. If you don't know what all that is, he's basically the Elon Musk of, of Bible teachers, all right, in that day. Like he's, he's top of the line. He knows the Bible inside and out. He's the leader. He's coming to Jesus. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, John, as we learned last week, he's not, he's not like everything's a little bit of a clue. He came at night. Very important clue. He was scared. He didn't want to be seen. This wasn't a, a, a public uh, meeting. This was private. And it's fair to be scared because he's risking a lot here. He's, he's, he's risking the friendships, the community, the, the leadership, the power, all those things are at stake just by meeting with Jesus. But he still came. You got to give him credit. You know, we would we'd say, oh, he's afraid. He came at night. He still came. He said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Such an important statement that, that the kingdom, this is what Jesus is about, not earthly kingdoms, not politics. He's, he came to talk about this kingdom of God, this spiritual kingdom that you and I cannot touch or see. And he's saying, this is, this is, this is of, of importance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's all about God's kingdom. Nicodemus says, well, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Now, just real quick, um, being born of water and spirit, this gets twisted a lot. A lot of people would say, if I want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you got to be uh, water baptized. You got to be baptized by water and also have the spirit in you. So this is where some people will, will say, if you're not baptized and you die, you ain't making it into heaven. Which obviously you can maybe see how that is, is coming. But look at this next statement. By the way, 
we haven't had a baptism here in a while, and I feel like God wanted me to say this. I want to do a baptism in August. I'm thinking August 22nd would be good. I don't have a single person who's like, hey, I want to get baptized, that I, that I, that I personally have talked to to say yes. But if God's laid it on your heart to say, I'm on Team Jesus, and I'll, let's, let's do it, let's shoot for August 22nd. Like, just come and talk to me, and let's, let's celebrate a baptism. So if that's you today, I don't know who that's for. Let's talk. It's a beautiful thing that we do here. It's a lot of fun. We get a hot tub here, and we celebrate. People go crazy. You'll cry. People will cry, and it's a beautiful thing. Jesus' next statement says, Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual uh, birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Okay, Jesus gets a little bit gross, all right? Ladies who've, who've, who've given birth know there's a lot of fluid that happens in the birth process. And Jesus is saying, the natural birth, water, happens, but that's not going to get you into the kingdom just because you're born naturally by water. You're born once, great, but you need to be born again, spirits, right? Water and spirit. So I don't think he's talking about baptism. I think based on his next sentence, he's talking about you were born naturally, and there was a lot of fluid involved in that. You need to be born again. He destroys universalism in this. Universalism would be, hey, I'm born, I'm a good, we're all going, we all go to heaven. And he's saying, no, just being born doesn't get you into the kingdom. There's spirit involved here. And you had nothing to do with your natural birth. And this one's coming from God, so you cannot earn this one either. This is where Christians start to really botch things. I want to talk about essentials and non-essentials. There are essentials to our faith. And there are other things that are very important, very personal, but they are non-essentials to our faith. Bible translations, non-essential. Worship music, non-essential. Women pastors and leaders in the church, non-essential. Divorce, abortion, gender, politics, important, not essential to this birth that he's talking about. It all stems from a relationship with Jesus. That is where salvation is found. And Christians, we love the non-essentials. And it pushes people away. You have to believe this. You have to do this. You have to say this. And I've been in those environments. I love to preach from the version NLT. I was told you can only preach from the HCSB. No, I do not. You can, you have your story and you, it repulsed you. It should have repulsed you. And I'm not saying any of these things aren't important. I have my own beliefs on these things. But when it comes to essentials and non-essentials, the, uh, the first church had this issue. It started at the very beginning. Gentiles, non-Jewish people, started getting saved. This is in Antioch. And then all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 15, the Jews came in and said, you know what, if they're going to be saved, 
they got to follow all the Jewish laws. They're Gentiles. They got to be like us. To which Paul and Barnabas said, no, they do not. Absolutely 100% not. The controversy was so big, they brought it back to the apostles in Jerusalem saying, what's the deal with this? And James stands up, and this is what we get. He says, we should not make it difficult. We should just underline that, highlight this. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Jesus said, hey, you will strain a gnat out of your water. You got a fly that, that flew into your water. And you're going to work so hard to get that fly, but you will swallow a camel in the process. You are pushing people away from this kingdom of God by fighting over what Beth Moore is wearing or talking about. You'll strain a gnat and swallow a camel, and we push people away. Christians, we got to own that. I've, I have contributed to that, to that myself. I don't want to. And even in Freedom Church, we probably have contributed to that some way, shape, or form. And we try to eliminate that. Religion's dead. Jesus says this. He said, the wind blows wherever it wants. Oh, uh-oh. Get ready. Get ready. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. There is a mystery to this thing. There is a mystery that we cannot fully explain what God is doing, how He's doing it, what the grand picture is and things. How are these things possible? Thank you, Nicodemus, for asking your questions. How? Is this possible? Jesus said, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand? You're a Bible guy. <laughs> Religion won't save you. Doing the stuff won't save you. My story, I walked and I ran from God. August of 2003 is a moment, one of the rawest moments of my life. I'm laying in the middle of the night in my bed, and I wake up, and it is, it, I just know, I absolutely know I had this experience, and it was Jesus right in my face. I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't see anything, but I knew it spooked me because I'm like, oh, man, I am not alone on this planet. And he said, what are you fighting for? Because I was fighting for my freedom. I was fighting for popularity. I just wanted to be wanted. I was fighting for all of these things. He said, what are you fighting for? I'm like, this life is exhausting. And I said, I'm yours. And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out who is this mystery? Who is this God? And the Spirit's been just guiding me ever since that time. My fear, if you're here today and you're a skeptic, my fear in preaching this, your version, your brand of Christianity was built on doctrine and theology. 
How do you not understand this, Nicodemus? You know the Bible. Nicodemus' problem was not knowledge. He knew it all. And what some of you are lacking is a, a relationship that the experience of knowing God you got to be born of the Spirit. There's an experience in this piece of the puzzle. And my fear is many of us have gotten built on this theology and doctrine, and we just fight about these things, and we've never experienced God. Judas, Judas spent years with Jesus. His last act, he kissed him. Public affection for Jesus may not be telling the entire story. Do you know him? Have you had an experience with the creator of this universe? It is the only thing that will satisfy your soul and mind. And you can keep searching and seeking, but until he comes into your soul, it will never satisfy. For many, I would say I'm not deconverting, or de for me, for my process, I wasn't deconstructing my faith. I was deconstructing religion. And God was just, just, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. No. And there's freedom there. Now, to that extent, you can't go too far. Because it's not just experience. There's also evidence that backs this thing up. How can, how can I trust the Bible? How can I trust that Jesus wrote through the dead? Examine the evidence. Go after it and look it up. There's historical evidence that goes along with it. So if I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, I can't go dabble into, well, all roads lead to heaven. Because Jesus couldn't be more clear. Oh, you got to be born of the Spirit. Well, that could mean a lot of things, but he was very... The, read the whole dynamic of this thing. He's trying to save the kingdom of God, and it only comes through me. What, if I could... If I could get it through Buddha, why did he even have to come and die on the cross? That doesn't, it doesn't line up with his whole mission and his own, whole purpose. So I don't get to just cherry pick what I want out of Jesus and say, well, I like this Jesus, but not this Jesus. you got to examine the evidence. Why are we even hearing about Nicodemus? Why is he name dropped? Why do we hear about Matthias, the, 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 the Roman soldier who got his ear chopped off when they arrested him. Why is he there? Why do we hear about blind Bartimaeus, a nobody blind guy, and we know his name, and he was in Jericho? Maybe it was written by eyewitnesses in the other time where other eyewitnesses existed and say, you go talk to Matthias. You go talk to Bartimaeus. There's Nicodemus. He's in Jerusalem. Talk to him. Verify it. There's no, if, here's, here's, Christianity is based on an event. This whole revolution started based on an event. Not a, oh, I think this is a good idea, or this is a great way to live, and Jesus is a good teacher. No. When he rose from the dead, everything changed. And Christianity hinges on that and that alone. That one single event. So for me as a pastor, as I look at the evidence, I can't get past the resurrection. You and I, we can disagree on Noah's Ark. 
You and I, we can disagree on, on hell. You and I can disagree on sexuality, but it, that has nothing to do with the foundation of what Christianity is based on, which is the resurrection. So go, I'm, I'm all in on that event. So when we talk about the emotionals and the values and the intellectual and everything like that, like a, a church member that treated you poorly or abused you or just this horrible thing, it hurts and it's painful, but it's not actually evidence for or against God or Christianity or Jesus. Christianity hasn't changed. It's based on this event. And I would, I would say there's an experience and then there's evidence. And I, I don't know what time it is. I'm probably going way over, but I'm excited, so we're going to keep going. And I know it's hot in here. I'm sweating like crazy. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, if you're an atheist today, a skeptic today, you're like, I believe in universalism. I'm a, I'm a hardcore um, uh, reformed uh, Christian. I'm a hardcore Arminian. Like, uh, like, you're like, what is that? Don't even worry about it. Like, you have, whatever you believe, you have to check boxes. And I don't want anyone out. I want, this is where I want to poke at some who have deconverted or are questioning. Wherever you, if you're like, I'm going to leave Christianity, that means I'm going to take a step away. It means you are stepping towards something else. And whatever you're stepping towards, you are checking boxes to say, this is how I, my worldview now. So if you go the route of atheism, and we talk about this a lot here, if you go the route of there is no God, then bye-bye morals. Like you may say you have morals, but it's borrowed from something else because if all we are are cells and matter, there is no standard for, for right or wrong. Bye-bye justice. There's no standard for, for this is injustice and this is justice. Bye-bye to value. No, there's no such thing as value. You're just cells. That's it. To which we're like, I don't know if I can check all those boxes. But then if you're going to go the route of other religions, I'll, this is overly simplistic, but if you really get after it and look after it, you got to check the box of, then it's on me. If, I'm, if this is the scorecard for getting into the kingdom of heaven through Islam, I got to work the list. I, it's on me to earn it and work it. And you may or may not be comfortable with that. But you can boil it down to, if you want God to be happy, you have to do something to appease him. To which you might say, well, I kind of like to do my own thing. I'm spiritual. To which I would still say then, in those cases, in many cases, it is on you. Like, it, I'm God. And there's many people who will go that route, and they will, can justify this, but if you, it's still on, it's still on you. There's a lot of people, if I were to ask, how do you get into heaven? They would say, I, I, I'm good enough. I'm not Hitler. I'm good. Why, why would God be so upset at me? I'm not destroying anything or anyone. I'm a good person, Mike, to which I would say, uh, yeah, you are good. But good enough, God sucks. Take two minutes to think about good enough, God. 
How good is good enough? 10% good enough? That gets you in? I'm a good person. 90% good enough? Does that get what's the what's the scorecard for getting in if I'm I'm a good person? And think about how sadistic that God is. Because where are you on that scorecard right now? Do you have any clue? Are you at 25%? 50? Like, where is it? I don't know. It's been hidden from me for the, my entire life. Good enough God is a horrible God, and that is exhausting to try to earn it. Christianity, Jesus, Jesus says you must be born again. You receive it. It's by grace. Christianity would say, you, this is going to spin you, you are, you're not good. Christian, uh, fundamental doctrine of Christianity is that you are sinful. You are not perfect. And you're like, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm good. Jesus would just say, Stop trying to earn it with this good business. That's religion. It's a very, this is a, it sounds bad at first, but this is actually one of the most freeing things. I don't have to be Mr. Perfect. And if you've ever lived with Mr. Perfect, you know how much you hate living with that person. You don't like that person. So for me to say, I'm not good, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to earn it. I just receive it. It's so freeing. And this is what Jesus is ushering in. This is so important for us. To but we, these are valid questions. How does this happen, Nicodemus says. And Jesus helps him and meets him where he's at. To which we get one of our most popular verses. For God so loved the world. Thank you, Nicodemus, for asking your questions. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, how do I receive this spirit? You believe in Jesus. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was clear. There's a warning coming. Like, it's, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. And there's consequences if you don't. Christianity is the only one that teaches grace. You can live by flesh. This is really the bottom line. You can go by flesh. It's on me, and I'll figure it out, and I'll work it, and I'll earn it. Or you can live by spirit, which is by grace. Nicodemus is at a crossroads. He had a choice to make. We find him in John chapter 19 again. After Jesus died on the cross, it says, With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of, of perfumed ointment. That's heavy. That's a lot. It made myrrh and aloes. Nicodemus helped bury Jesus in the tomb. How do we know they got the right tomb? Talk to Nicodemus. He was there. You have an option too. Born of the flesh, it's on you. Someone's like, well, I'll only embrace Christianity if it affirms everything that I believe. If your God never cuts you a little bit and pokes and prods at you, then that's a dead sign that you have built God in your image. And I don't get to define who God is. And I don't like everything that I read about God in the Bible. But I'm not making him in my image. I'm banking on Jesus and his resurrection, and I'm following him. 
as best as I can. If you're here today and you're an atheist, this is what God has for me, for you, and I hope you hear that. You have value. You have value. What is that in you that knows there's something more that longs for meaning and purpose? Say, I'm not just, I'm more than cells in biology. I matter. If you're here today and you're spiritual, you're skeptical, I'm spiritual, I'm, I'm, I'm open, but I'm not fully in, I want to I challenge you today. My question for you, what do you do with Jesus? I know all these other things have happened, but what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with the resurrection? Dig in there. Let's have our conversation there. He was more than just a teacher. He didn't come just to teach and say nice things and heal some people and then leave. He was, he was claiming more. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.